Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Late Thursday, we learned a New York grand jury voted to indict former President Donald Trump, making him the first former president in our nation's history to face criminal charges. But what does that mean for us as a nation, and what do we know about the charges specifically? We'll sit down with Washington Post reporter Ozzie Pebera to learn the latest about these charges and what's happening in New York, as well as be joined by Brown Professor of Political Science, Wendy Schiller, to break down the political ramifications. That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Detroit Today is supported by the Michigan School of Psychology and the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson. The rule of law, it's an idea that all people, all institutions, and all entities are accountable to the rules that we as a society agree to be bound by. It's an idea I've been thinking about a lot for the past few years as our country and its institutions struggle with what seem like constant challenges in the political climate that we all face right now. What does the rule of law mean when the mere act of applying our laws for some can be classified as a political action? Yesterday, news broke that a Manhattan grand jury voted to indict former President Donald Trump on criminal charges. He's expected to be arraigned on Tuesday when we'll learn more about the specific allegations. But one thing we know for certain right now is that Donald Trump is the first former president in the history of the United States to be charged with a crime. It is a historic first to be sure, but remarkably, it might just be the tip of the iceberg. Donald Trump remains under investigation for other potential criminal acts related to election interference and retaining classified documents after leaving office, just to name a few. No one outside the grand jury has seen the specific charges or evidence in this case that we learned about on Thursday. And yet, already several Republicans and Trump allies are classifying the case as a political witch hunt. It would appear for them the mere act of charging a former president for what their party believes is a a witch hunt, a mere act of making a political statement, would be sufficient to make the conclusion. If you charge someone on my team with the crime, you're just going after them for political reasons. But while many might think of this case in partisan terms, I keep thinking about what a prosecution like this means for the rule of law. As we see democracies around the world pushed to their limit, the present moment represents an opportunity for our country to make a statement about what is important for us. Sure, we can say we care about the rule of law, that no one is above the law, but are we willing to do the hard work as a nation, even when it might be uncomfortable, to follow through on that promise? It's something I've been thinking a lot about lately, and a little later, we'll be speaking with Brown University political science professor Wendy Schiller to unpack the political ramifications of what is occurring in this case. But right now, I'm joined by Ozzie Paybera, a reporter for The Washington Post, who has been covering this matter very closely. Ozzie, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. So, Ozzy, let's break it down from the beginning. This case has just dropped on us Thursday. We're still learning things as we know the indictment is sealed. But what do we know? What do you know about this case from your reporting? What we know is that the subject is former President Donald Trump, and it involves money that he had that eventually ended up with a person named uh, Stormy Daniels, a a woman who uh, performs in adult movies under that name. And she has claimed that she had a, we can call it a personal relationship with the former president while he was married and before he was elected. And what has been reported is that in order to prevent her from speaking publicly about this alleged relationship, that Donald Trump either authorized or directly uh, sent money to her through one of his lawyers, Michael Cohen. 
and it was done in a way uh, so that it would not appear uh, in regular campaign finance filings, but was clearly uh, done, according to the prosecution, was done in order to make uh, to, to protect him while he was campaigning, because it would have been detrimental if this kind of story would have emerged beforehand. But like those are the basic contours of what has been reported. But the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg has not uh, unsealed the specifics of this. This is just what has been reported previously uh, by uh, my colleagues and, and other reporters. That's right. And we do know yes. that there was a bit of a delay there with the district attorney who had been investigating right. the case. Do we know why there was a delay and why they chose to file the charges at this time? It, it's, it's a little bit unclear, but what we do know is that there have been a lot of discussions about what you do if the person who is currently sitting in the Oval Office is alleged to have committed a crime. Now, this is an issue that has come up uh, with some regularity, but the, the, the general consensus is that once someone is elected and is the sitting president, they are sort of allowed to operate and conduct their business. And if there's anything uh, legal or personal that they have to face, it, it usually comes afterwards. You know, you, you can't imagine uh, a sitting president sort of having to deal with so many legal issues while also conducting, you know, world affairs. Yeah. But once they leave office, they're a citizen who's, sub, who's subject to the to the rules of law, just like anyone else. But while they're in office, it, it's a little bit different. We know that we have been thinking about these charges being filed for a bit now. In fact, Donald Trump a week back or so said that he expected to be charged on Tuesday uh, last week. That didn't happen. But now... Under the surprise of many people, it seems he has actually been charged. Uh, so you would think he'd be prepared for it. What has been the response from the Trump camp and people on the right? So apparently Trump's own advisors were surprised when he announced that this would happen. And they were surprised once again when it actually did happen. Um, so, but, but Trump has always operated sort of uh, on his own with advisors often scrambling to catch up to him. Um, but, you, but you said something really interesting in your intro which is about like the rule of law, and the, the premise of it is that we all agree to follow that. Well, Donald Trump has sort of made a career out of not agreeing to norms and standards that many other people have acquiesced to. In fact, his brand has been built on breaking these sort of norms and traditions. This is why, arguably, uh, he gained the kind of following that he did, was that people were not satisfied with sort of status quo, establishment, any of those words. And the idea that he is someone who stands up and says, I will not follow what other people have done before me, despite the rule of law. Like, th th this is sort of what uh, has brandished his, his reputation in the public's mind. So the fact that something unprecedented is happening once again to him is, is sort of almost par for the course. Yeah, it seems kind of like a feature, not a bug with uh, this <laughs> former president where, yep. you know, if you if you if I push against the system and you don't charge me, I win because I'm not charged. But if you do charge me, then it's a political witch hunt. See, I'm railing against the system. I do win also. Win win. Correct. Yeah, yeah th that's very much how a, a lot of his uh, supporters are sort of describing it. If you are watching uh, conservative media or, or listening to certain news outlets, the reaction was personal. There was almost some, some cheerful eyes as they were reporting the news that a person who may have flouted the law is facing consequences for it. Now, there is a debate about how strong the case is, but again, we haven't seen the details of it, but the, the, the reaction that he's already created by announcing in advance that, that this would happen, he's, uh, Donald Trump has sort of forced Republicans to take a position about him. He's, he's once again put himself in the center of people's consciousness. And, and the Republican field, which at one point was sort of decided whether or not to move past him after the third straight sort of election where uh, Trump's influence on the, on the electorate seems to have been waning, he, uh, by announcing that he is the subject of a rogue district attorney with nefarious supporters, Donald Trump has, has sort of stoked this resentment. He, he's reminded people that, that there is an us and a them and that we are under attack. He used this kind of language before. And he has sort of forced this like entire field of Republican candidates who are looking at the 2024 race to define themselves in relationship to him as opposed to replacing him. They're, they're sort of forced to critique 
a district attorney who, who they don't really know. And then like the, you know, just like 2016, this is all about Trump. So we know that the charges or at least the grand jury has voted to indict. And I've seen from mm-hmm. reporting that we expect him to be arraigned on Tuesday. But what can you right. tell us about what we can next expect in this case and what you're looking for? So apparently uh, one of Trump's lawyers has said on another network that uh, the former president will not be handcuffed. Um, so, so the actual details of how you take into custody a person who is also, because they're a former president, uh, offered the, the, you know, they're under Secret Service protection. Like, how do you take someone into custody like that? Like, the details here are not entirely clear, but there is uh, a need for him to either travel physically to New York uh, to face, uh, to face the, the next step in this process, or could it be arranged that, that it's done virtually in some capacity? Um, it's not entirely clear. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office has been working uh, for quite some time, not only on the legal case, but also on the on the technicalities and, and the and the specifics of how do you go about doing this? You know, he is a person that when he's arraigned, he is still being protected by Secret Service. Like this has never happened before. We kind of are in uncharted territory. We are in uncharted territories. Again, I'm speaking with Ozzie Paybear of the Washington Post here on 1019 WDET in Detroit today. And we also want to speak with you in this unprecedented moment. What are your thoughts about the announcement that Trump has been indicted by a New York grand jury? Give us a call, 313-577-1019. Tell us what you make of this. Are you waiting for more information? Do you think that the charges should have been filed as is? Or do you think this is just a, a witch hunt? Where do you fall on this? What are your thoughts in this historic moment. We want to know so that we can include you in the conversation. But Ozzy, I want to get back to you because there are, as I mentioned, other uh, investigations that are happening. And what mm-hmm. does this charge now in the New York case mean for the other uh, investigations that are happening, for example, in Georgia related to potential uh, election fraud or the uh, federal case related to uh, the classified documents? Well, w- w- one of the things that I and my colleagues sort of heard was that uh, nobody may have wanted to be the first to do something this historic, but now that it's been done, it might take some of the pressure or spotlight away from whoever comes in second or third to to do this. Um, But in Georgia, there's an investigation into Trump's efforts to uh, upend and change the uh, 2020 election results in that state. Remember, there was a very famous phone call that was made public where he had asked the, um, the Secretary of State there to, quote-unquote, find a few more votes, which is clearly uh, not the way... I believe he wanted 11,000-plus more votes, just, just, just enough to more, get over. Just right. look around. Um, and, then, and then there are still ongoing questions about um, Trump's role in inciting uh, the attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, which was arguably the most well-recorded, well-documented crime scene uh, ever in American history. Um, And then there's a more specific case about the uh, effort to bring in fake electors into the process by which uh, Congress formally declares the the winner of the election. So so there are multiple inquiries into what role Trump played in in, in various uh, scandals. And this happens to have been the first one to have reached this stage. 313-577-1019 to join the conversation. Again, the phone number here is 313-577-1019. Ozzy, we're going to go to the phones right now. We're going to start off with Bernadette in Redford. Bernadette, go ahead. You're on Detroit Today. Good morning. Over the course of time, particularly when uh, Donald Trump was being impeached, there were a number of subpoenas issued, and Trump just ignored them. Um, if it was anybody else, there would be consequences for ignoring subpoenas. Can you tell me what those consequences would be? Yeah, that's a good question. Oh. Ozzy, in terms of the subpoenas, I know a lot of litigation and back and forth was happening related to that. What can you tell us about where we're at with those? You know, uh, su- subpoenas arguably are, are only as strong as uh, the effort to enforce them. Uh, remember, th- th- there were members of Congress who were issued subpoenas that they ignored, including uh, Congressman uh, Jim, uh, uh, sorry, um, the congressman who is now the chair of the uh, committee to investigate the weaponization of the federal government, uh, J- Jim Jordan. Right. He was subpoenaed. He ignored it. And now he's a chairman. So 
there's also a time element. Um, Once a uh, body that issues a subpoena changes hands from one party to another, oftentimes the effort to enforce a prior subpoena uh, falls by the wayside. So uh, it it looks like that effort that Trump's just sort of brushed aside, there there may not be consequences. Now, remember, there were also subpoenas that were issued during, during the Obama administration that I believe members of his administration either did not respond to at all or, or delayed so much that it effectively shunted it aside. But um, yeah, this is part and parcel of what we've seen before is a administration that does not believe in certain kinds of inquiry or checks and balances and proceeded likewise. Yeah. But we do believe, or we could have hope that especially when criminal charges are involved uh, related to subpoenas that way, that there might be some more teeth as we get more judges involved. Uh, Bernadette, thank you so much for your call. As we continue uh, looking into this issue, we're going to move on to our next call. We've got Robert in Detroit. Robert, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hi. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because, um, yeah, this is political, but do we want another George Santos? It's like <laughs> we have we have people that have no scrutiny before they're elected. And then while they're elected, they're too powerful to have scrutiny. There's no accountability and everybody circles the wagons. You know, the line is just, you know, acceptable nowadays. And it seems like unless you get somebody under oath, and there are witnesses under oath also that you don't get anywhere near the truth. And, and I just find it very frustrating that, you know, the, the same people that went after Bill Clinton for his indiscretion now are clutching their pearls and, and wondering, you know, how can this be? And it's, it's a witch hunt. And I mean, this is all nonsense. This is the United States of America. We're a first world country. But when did we go to this level? It's very funny and interesting from a political point of view, but it's, it's so dangerous. Yeah, I do. You raise really good points there, Robert. It is dangerous. One of the things I'm also thinking about when I think about basically what you're saying, telling us is how this looks in other countries, as they can be an example of it. And you have on one side, just for example, in Russia, a reporter has been taken into custody as alleged as being a spy. Obviously, we over here don't think that. We think that's a violation of rights and norms. But you know, you have in other countries where uh, prosecutions have happened successfully of former uh, officials. But then we also know that you can have politically motivated uh, prosecutions in countries where we think the democracies aren't as strong. But I present those questions to you, Ozzy, before we let you go. I know you got places to go. Uh, uh, What do you think when it comes to uh, uh, what Robert had to mention in terms of this, uh, comparing it to uh, lying being okay right now in our politics? So, So George Santos, unlike Donald Trump, was unknown and under-scrutinized before getting, to, before getting into office. Trump, the opposite. Over-scrutinized, over-publicized, over-exposed in, in, in many respects uh, to, to the public. But he was also under-scrutinized in the sense that the image he projected on TV was far from the reality, and, and a lot of his reporters didn't even compare those two until well after he, he got into office. But, but there is something about dismissing legitimate inquiry as a political attack, and it makes it harder to get to the truth. You know, a lot of times the rights and freedoms that, you know, Republicans uh, and people who define themselves as patriots, those rights and freedoms that they often tout means that we don't publicize certain things until they're vetted, that we don't that we don't rush into action. And that uh, requires time and patience. And in that vacuum, if people come in and just start waving a flag and saying I'm being persecuted, it can um cloud the public understanding about what's happening. If you believe in due process, then you have to also believe in patience. If you believe that there is equality under the law, and if you believe that there's a thing called justice and everyone has rights, then you also believe that there has to be institutions to make that happen. And it can't just be built on a, on a cult of personality. So if you believe in rights, you also have to believe in the institutions that, that enact it. It's a great point there, Ozzy, and we're going to leave it there. Thank you, Robert, by the way, for calling and 313-577-1019 to all of you out there listening to get involved with this conversation and tell us what you're thinking now that the Trump indictment has been announced. But uh, Ozzy Paber, I know you got places to go and things to do, so I want to thank you so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Oh, thank you for having me. Best callers, uh, please have me back anytime anytime again. (laughs) Absolutely, Ozzy. Thank you. 
When we return, we're going to continue this discussion on the unprecedented indictment of a former president. First time ever in our history, breaking down the political ramifications with professor and chair of political science at Brown University, Wendy Schiller. When we return here on 1019 WDET and Detroit Today. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. WDET in Detroit today. I'm Nick Austin filling in for Stephen Henderson as we are in an unprecedented time, as I've said so many times today, because it really is historic. First time in our history, our nation's history, that a former president has been indicted on criminal charges. It's a big deal, and we want to hear from you about it, too. How are you feeling in this moment? What do you think about these charges, especially if you're a Republican out there? How do you feel about what's happening here? I want to get your take as well. You can give us a call, 313-577-1019. What questions do you have about the political ramifications? Do you think the rule of law is very important in these matters and that it is necessary to charge a president, a former president, if you believe there's a criminal case there? Or do you think it could be too risky, could be too harmful to our institutions? Let us know. 313-577-1019. I do have a lot of questions about the political ramifications of this. And one person that we always love to bring in for these types of comments is someone who's very thoughtful on these matters. It's Professor of Political Science at Brown University, Wendy Schiller. Wendy, welcome back to Detroit Today. It's good to be here. So we are all unpacking this. We're all looking into this in real time. Let me know your thoughts on what you know so far in relation to the charging of the former president. Well, Nick, you know, these charges are about what Donald Trump did before he won the election and before he assumed office, um, the president, you know, office of the presidency. So I think for a lot of listeners, for for everybody, I think unpacking, as you say, you know, do we go after presidents for for breaking the law before they were president? Obviously, there have been tax cases. There's a tax case in New York, uh, New York State, New York City. Um, so this is the question mark. There are other uh, possible indictments coming down the road that have much more uh, direct connection to what Trump did when he was president in terms of abuse of power or trying to sway an election in Georgia, for example. I think it's easier for most people to understand why you would bring those charges against the president. It's in the national interest to make sure the president doesn't abuse presidential power. But but to go after something that um, may or may not have had something to do with politics, uh, I think is much tougher to explain. I'm not saying that there isn't a case here, I'm just saying it's very difficult to explain, and I think that's going to make it tough to to justify to a lot of people uh, why we're putting Donald Trump through this. So that leads me to wonder about the timing of all of the potential charges happening here, because as you do mention, this one is from before he was in office. Maybe it's a little bit more tenuous. However, given that it's in Manhattan, which is a, a stronger Democratic stronghold, and that some There's been reporting that other prosecutors maybe have had a little bit colder feet to be the first to jump in the water. Does this provide cover for other prosecutors now who might be interested in pressing charges? Or does this also complicate their attempts to possibly hold Donald Trump accountable for charges they have in their separate cases? Nick, that is an excellent question. And and from my perspective, just this morning, kind of soaking it all in, I think it opens the door more widely. I think when you say give other prosecutors cover, I think it gives them uh, encouragement and momentum to say this is worth um, this is worth going through, right? This is worth doing because the president is not above the law. You know, whether you know before or after, during, uh, nobody's above the law, 
And so if this is justifiable and it's not, it may or may not be directly tied to campaign finance when he was raising money to run for president. And that may be the connection there that more people can understand. But generally speaking, if you're not above the law and you've broken the law, um, then you are subject to prosecution. And that can be true of all of the different cases that are pending now against the former president. So one concern we would have with other democracies and places would be you don't want politically motivated uh, prosecutions. It's something that obviously I think all of us here would be concerned about and making sure to separate that. You want to make sure that there's actually some smoke there for you to file your charges versus something politically motivated. And we've seen that in other countries. Uh, But, Wendy, in terms of uh, your knowledge, what is it that makes the difference between a politically motivated charge versus a charge that's independent and uh, actually has something that should go through not politically motivated? Is there any way that we can make a distinction between the two? Yes, I think there is a way to make a distinction. And and keep in mind, I think that you're aware of this, and I, I wonder if we all need to pay more attention to the background of the prosecutors who are bringing these cases so, you know, Bragg in your, is the New York district attorney, but he was a federal prosecutor before that. And the one thing about federal prosecutors and all prosecutors, they want to win their cases. Yeah. And we know there can be prosecutorial misconduct. Um, we've seen that in the criminal justice system. I'm not saying that doesn't exist. However, if you're going to bring this kind of case, um, you have to have your ducks in a row. And if it's tenuous because it's politically motivated, um, then you're going to lose or you're going to look bad, or you could be subject to charges of prosecutorial misconduct. The background on this particular case is that two very experienced prosecutors in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office um, for the predecessors, um, Cyrus Vance uh, Jr., they wanted to bring this case. They felt it was a strong case. And Alvin Bragg, when he got in, said, no, I don't want to bring this case. I'm not persuaded. But something happened to persuade him to move forward. And I think that has to do with the confidence and the evidence in the case. Those two individuals resigned in protest because he didn't bring the case forward when he assumed office. So that means that there has to be a fair amount of confidence in the law, in the legal case that they have, not the politics of it. Because if it was politics, a a new district attorney is not going to take this on and be the first one out the doors, as you point out. Um, that's too politically risky. So there has to be pretty good evidence here. They think they can win this case. I really appreciate that context that you brought up there, uh, really getting into the history and that transfer of uh, prosecutors in this case. It is something to keep in mind when we think about the timing of how these charges were brought. As we're speaking to with Professor Wendy Schiller, she's the professor and chair of political science at Brown University. And we also want to speak with you. Give us a call. 313-577-1019. If you have any questions about uh, the context, the historical context, the political context of this prosecution, of this of this indictment that is pending against uh, former President Donald Trump and the historic nature of it. What you're feeling about that as well. We want to hear from you. Right now, we hear from Ted in Southfield. Ted, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hi, Nick. How you doing? Doing well. Good to hear from you. Go ahead. I want to thank you and uh, Professor Schiller, uh, longtime listener, first-time caller. Um, I think that we need to understand that all these questions about um, uh, former president, whether they're a former president or former pope, it does not matter. We live in a country of, that, is, that is founded upon the rule of law. And this country was not founded properly, as we would believe in this day and age. It was founded in a way that was very discriminatory. But the one thing that has moved us forward is the rule of law. And I believe this indictment is a long time coming. And all these questions about the political ramifications or how it's going to play out in the media, those are all nonsense. They should not even be countered or, or, or listened to. I have this guy, Donald Trump, has committed more crimes than every single person I know combined. And it's taken this long for an indictment to finally come down. Mm -hmm. So I think we should let the indictment play out just as it would with any normal civilian in the United States. And he should have to face the ramifications of that. 
Ted, I appreciate your points. I will note, I don't know how many criminals you know, so it could just be zero, which would mean it would only take one to get over the hump. But I do take your point there a lot, especially uh, when, when you're talking about why we're talking about the political ramifications of it. Part of it is because we haven't seen the indictment yet, and I want to make sure not to put the cart before the horse before we see what happens on Tuesday and maybe get a little bit more information. I'm working with the stuff that's been reported. But I really do take your point, and I think they are excellent points. And I present those to you, Wendy. What do you make of Ted's point about uh, this being a long time coming and power needing to be held accountable? Well, I, I think he's pointing out uh, something that's fundamental of an expectation that we have in our democracy, that, you know, the rule of law will prevail no matter who you are. There is nobody above the law. Um, and, you know, we can go back to Richard Nixon, you know, like if the president does it, you know, then, you know, it's not ever illegal, which is just simply not the principle that we have. And, you know, we rotate our presidents out of office. They're not hereditary. There are no guarantees. And as of the 1950s, the term limited to two terms. So we put constraints, but we also expect a tremendous amount. So we elevate these individuals who seek the office, who win the office of the presidency, and we give them enormous power. Um, And then we say, no, but you're just like an ordinary citizen. And I think that's something we have to come to terms with as a society. And I, um, I'm not proposing that anybody should be um, above the law. We had a case in Providence, Rhode Island, where we had a mayor who was pretty well known to have committed a lot of illegal acts. It was quite corrupt, but he was also very charismatic. His name was Buddy Cianci. He's passed away now. And he was sort of, he transformed the city. And he was a hero to a lot of people. But he had committed a lot of crimes, as the, as the listener suggests, a long time coming, a lot of you know illegalities. And the federal government finally prosecuted him on, I think, 18 counts. And they only convicted him on one, which was the most serious one. And he went to jail for four years. And that was after he was mayor. And then he came back, got out of jail, and ran for mayor again. But he lost. So I'm just saying that, that, that this sort of charisma that Trump has, this following that Trump has, you can understand it when someone has that kind of political talent where people would say, oh, no, it's no big deal. But the law is the law. And I think once this mayor was convicted here, it set the tone for the state to, to you know, crack down much harder on uh, corruption than it ever had before. So I think there is a lesson to be learned that, you know, the law never rests, that if you have committed crimes, eventually, if the statute of limitations doesn't run out, you know, somebody's going to come after you. Ted in Southfield, again, thank you so much for calling, especially making it your first time calling, as those were some excellent points and really helping out the conversation here. As uh, we continue on Detroit today, Wendy, what you were talking about there did make me think of a couple of things, because when you talk about really talented politicians and the what we elevate people to when, when you take the presidency, it seems when I see things like uh, the the prohibition against charging a sitting president while they're in office. I'm not quite sure where exactly that comes from, but we know that the DOJ has that memorandum out there. When people know things like that, if you're a talented politician, you can say, hey, maybe I should become president because if I'm willing to push the boundaries, I could get away with more. I see guys like George Santos, who's willing to lie just to get some more power and see what they can do with that. But you also mentioned that we need to hold people accountable and you have concerns about that elevation that we uh we provide to people who are like presidents. Have you thought about what we could do to temper that? Do you have any ideas on what we could do or rules we could put in place to protect ourselves from some uh, charismatic leaders that would try to take a position like that and use it poorly? Well, Nick, I'm just going to throw a little bit of history in here because it's a big and very important question. Now, in, in 1792, Alexander Hamilton um, of the fame musical, but also one of our, our founding fathers, told George Washington, buried deep in this really long uh, memorandum about the economy, there was just a paragraph in there that said, be careful because somebody could come along who's really charismatic, really charming, failed business person, doesn't really have a lot of policy ideas, but captures the imagination of the people. This is 1792. And this person would be unethical, um, you know, not hold up the standards that we need. I think he was trying to persuade Washington to run president again. Um, and so uh, he warned him. He said, this person could bring down the democracy. If we allow people like this to, to have power and engage in that kind of corruption, that moral corruption, um, then we are, we're, we're, we're done. We're not going to make it. And that was 1792. And we did, we have made it. 
But there have been a lot of bumps in the road. And I think it would be naive to think that other presidents haven't done things that we would now think should be prosecuted. Right. Um, so we've come far. I think this is a good advancement to say you are never, ever free from the scope of the law. But to protect ourselves, we have to hold people to standards. And remember, this is a case about a, alleged adultery uh, with a woman who's in the adult, who was in the adult film industry. Um, that, I think, is maybe not as relevant as the point that there was alleged adultery and there was alleged bribery or hush money paid. And this is a man that we elected president of the United States. So we should ask ourselves, do we want to elect this man again? You know, going way back for your listeners who are old enough, in 1984, Gary Hart was a really popular Democrat. And there was a picture of him with a woman that wasn't his wife on his lap on a boat. And that was it. He was done. He had to drop out and nobody was going to vote for him for president. Um, so I think that it's important to think about what we're asking of these people as human beings. What kind of code of conduct do we want them to engage in? And maybe this should have been a clue before he got elected that this was maybe not the man of a kind of character that at least Alvin or Hamilton hoped we would elect president of the United States. Yeah, you know, good historical context there. And I kind of want to get into a little bit more of that later. In fact, when we return here on Detroit Today, not only are we going to get into your calls, uh, including a Republican from Ohio to get his take on this, we're also going to think about uh, what could possibly happen as a result of this indictment. Look at a future in America as a result of when Donald Trump is charged. What might that look like? And we want to hear from you as well. 313-577-1019 to get involved with Detroit Today as we return in just a moment. It's Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson as we take a look. We think about the historic events that are happening with us, including uh, yesterday, the announcement that Donald Trump will be the first former president to ever be indicted. That indictment coming after a grand jury decided to file charges or decided to vote, voted to indict in New York. But we're talking right now with Professor uh, Wendy Schiller of Brown University, a political science professor. And Wendy, when we were speaking uh, just before that last break, uh, you did mention something about the concerns of a charismatic leader getting into power and the need to uh, make sure that we have accountability and the rule of law applies. But one of the other fallouts and concerns some folks have related to this will be, okay, well, the pendulum swings the other way. And we already see in Congress that right now what some people would think would be what I would think personally, to be honest, are uh, some sham investigations are happening, just, just retaliatory from the Republican-led House of Representatives uh, becoming a little bit of a show in terms of just a, a, a what might be a witch hunt of uh, political actors and looking into investigations of people that they don't like as a response to the January 6th investigation. What would you say to people who are concerned about the fact that now you have a state prosecutor filing against a former president that other states might get a little bit more aggressive, might feel a little bit more entitled to once a president like Biden steps down, that they might go ahead and try to file their own charges against them. And this could lead us into a downward spiral. What would you say to those people who are concerned about that? Well, Nick, I think that they should be concerned about that. And I think let's go back to Hamilton. What Hamilton was saying was that it wasn't just that this person would be, you know, charismatic and corrupt, it, that they would erode any sense of balance, any sense of fairness, that they would just try to sort of pit one group against the other. And we could devolve into something that sees these kinds of uh, prosecutions. However, you know, this case is just starting right. in New York in terms of the actual indictment and the arraignment of the former president next week. Um, if I were, you know, the powers that be in charge, I would try to make that as low key as possible, not allow Trump to take sort of classic perp walk with all those photograph photographers, because uh, Trump will milk that publicity for his own gain and it would be disruptive and possibly dangerous. So I think that's, you know, that's something to really think about. I mean, whereas I don't think he should be above the law like anybody else, I do think he's a former president and perhaps there needs to be some deference to that in the way that that is handled next week. Um, and, and that gets to the images. So what are the images here? Is this all about Trump? Because Trump has 
succeeded in making almost everything all about him. And that's the one maybe protection we have going forward against retaliatory prosecutions against other politicians who don't make it all about them personally. And that's been something that's uh, somewhat unique to Trump. Uh, and certainly his post-presidency has been all about him and him being uh, you know, wronged by losing 2020. No other former president who's lost an election or just left office has behaved that same way. So in that sense, it, just like it's all about Trump now, it could be that when this is all said and done, that um, other politicians aren't prosecuted unnecessarily just because they're from the other party because they haven't made it all about them. Before we get to calls, Wendy, I want to follow up on that really quickly. Do you have any recommendations, and you alluded to some there, on what we can do to protect ourselves from retaliatory prosecutions? Yeah, I think, you know, um, district attorneys are elected. You know, they're mo- for, for the most part, some are appointed and then they serve, then they're elected. It's kind of a little complicated, but most attorneys have to run for election. And you pay attention. We, we have this certainly in terms of mass incarceration and discriminatory prosecutions, prosecutorial wrongdoing. We think about these things, pay much closer attention to your DA race, your local prosecutor race, your local, your local sheriff race. Just see who are you electing for positions in law enforcement and do you trust that they won't bring a case unless somebody, uh, unless there's reasonable evidence to suggest somebody broke the law. 313-577-1019, again, is the phone number to get involved. As right now, I want to bring in a caller from Ohio, who I understand is a Republican, 40-year Republican, voted Republican all his life, voted for Trump in the first election, but then voted for uh, Joe Biden in the follow-up contest. I want to bring in Dave. Dave, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, thanks. Good morning. Good morning. So, Dave, as someone in Ohio, a swing state, we thought, although it's getting kind of red there, who's looking at the mm-hmm. indictment that just happened in th- on Thursday, what are your thoughts as someone who voted for Trump the first time, is a lifelong Republican, but then voted for Biden? Happy day for me. Happy <laughs> okay. day for me. You know, I mean, the reality of the situation is this is the first of four. Uh, all of them earned, you know. There was a time back in 15, the phone rang, and it was like, if the election were held today and it was Rubio against Hillary Clinton, who would you vote for? And I said, Rubio. And they went through the whole litany of Republicans. And then they said, if the election were held today and it's Donald Trump against Hillary Clinton, who would you vote for? And I said, I don't know. I mean, alarms should be going off in Washington, D.C. when somebody like me would say that. Because the reality of the situation is he really wasn't a Republican, a long-term Republican. And so, you know, you held your nose, you made the vote. Four years later, fool me once, but not twice. Nope, not happening. As someone who's a lifelong Republican then, what was it about Donald Trump that you think showed that he wasn't a real Republican to you or not someone you would want to vote for again? Dave, well, are you there? go ahead. I mean, I mean, the, the, the reality of the situation is he didn't come in with an operating model. He didn't come in with a theory of, of how he was going to govern. He was transactional, I guess, is how we kind of put it today. But he didn't. Reagan came in with a thought process of how he wanted to govern. Uh, Bush, incredibly honorable guy who was well prepared to become president. Uh, but I'm talking Bush 41. Um, uh, you know, you kind of knew what you were kind of getting. He had no idea. You had absolutely no idea. But, uh, you know, I didn't want to necessarily return to what was the Clinton eight years, uh, the eight years there. And so you held your nose, you (laughs) cast your ballot, and you, you went on. Well, before I let you go, Dave, since you are in Ohio, and I'm sure as a Republican, you do speak with a lot of other Republicans. Have you guys discussed this indictment? And what are your friends, other Republicans, saying about this indictment? What are their reactions? Well, they fall into one or two categories. It's just in general about Trump, okay? It's like those, I'm going to call them swamp Republicans or establishment Republicans, and they all look at this type of situation and they want their party back. They just want the Republican Party to come back because the world needs two functioning parties. And then it's, it's almost as if you ever attended one of those rallies. It became kind of a religious conversion for you, and you lost all sense of reality. And... I, I live in a split house. Mm. I live in a split house. My, sp- my spouse is still very focused on 
that kind of right man. And it's weird. It's hard. It's hard. So, you know, um, yeah. Yeah, right. I, I, we want the Republican Party back. And, and, and as far as I'm concerned, this is a long time coming. He would never have won in 16 if this had been revealed mm. up front. Well, Dave, I do appreciate your input and calling us all the way in or taking our call all the way here from uh, Ohio. So thanks so much and have a great rest of your day. We'll move on right now to Mel in Oak Park. Mel, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Did you say Maryland? Uh, Maryland. Sure. Yes. Go ahead. Okay. I just have a comment. For years, Trump has proven, or rather his, his friends have proven, that he is above the law. What is historic is that it's taken so long to issue an indictment for just one puny crime. And how long will it take Trump to wiggle out of this one? Maybe this indictment will open up the door a little bit. I'm not so sure. Well, uh, we'll bring that to you, Professor Schiller. It's one of the things that we've been discussing here that, uh, sure, it might have taken a while, but we did get to that point. Is this an opportunity now for others, as we've been discussing, Professor Schiller? Yeah, I mean, I do. I do think that it it, it sort of opens uh, the door, and, and as your callers have suggested, and this is a really amazing, you know, between Marilyn and Dave, you know, really just shows you the reactions. Um, and this is why the Republicans will see a short term gain from this, and they'll make a lot of political hay about it. But it also weakens them nationally in 2024. Because in 2016, as Dave did, Republicans went home. Even if they didn't love Trump, they voted for Trump. They held as a party. But in 2020, some of them sliced off. And they didn't vote for Biden necessarily, or maybe they did, but they didn't vote for Trump. And independents deserted uh, Trump. And they did so again in 2022 for Trump-endorsed candidates. Uh, You see that in the state of Michigan, obviously, uh, a lot of Democratic victories. So when you think about that nationally, this just becomes a a problem for the Republicans because the people who are split off aren't coming home again to Donald Trump in 24. And that's the long term political implication that's going on there. And I do think there will be more indictments. Um, uh, And I think this is really where we're going to have to see how the Republican Party tries nationally to get their act together to figure out they couldn't block Trump in 2016, or at least they thought they couldn't. Can they block Trump and pick DeSantis, let's say, or or Nikki Haley or or Tim Scott, somebody else uh, in time uh, to really limit this kind of damage that I think they're going to have to, you know, fend off again in 2024? Thank you again, Marilyn and Oak Park, for calling Detroit today. As we have a little bit of time for you, if you want to get on the line, 313-577-1019. Professor Schiller, uh, before we get into Republicans and how it might be best for them to react to this, do you have any recommendations in terms of the political response for Democrats in this moment? I mean, it might seem like this is a great time for them, but it also could be fraught with peril. What recommendations would you have for Democratic messaging on this matter? I think the Democrats just have to be uh, absolutely consistent, resist the urge to use hyperbole or any kind of extraordinary or exaggerated terms. They have to say rule of law, rule of law, rule of law. You know, that's it. We support the rule of law. And that, you know, if there's enough evidence that says this person, you know, may have broken the law. I think the Democrats should also shift their focus to the Georgia case where, you know, there was real evidence of electoral interference and return to January 6th. And, you know, the Republicans have to worry about violence coming out of this. You know, if if people who are avid Trump supporters decide to do something violent, then that's just going to be a bigger headache for the Republicans and the Democrats can say, we are the party, not only of rule of law, but also of safety, that we won't destroy the Capitol, we won't threaten people. Um, this is, you know, we want a safer America. And I think that's that's where they have to be. And they have to be consistent and unified in that message. You know, and when we talk about the Republican messaging and what you might recommend for them, one of the things I think about is the State of the Union response that was provided by uh, Governor uh, Huckabee Sanders, uh, or which, or Sarah Huckabee, which I just thought was a little bizarre in terms of who she was speaking to. It seemed like speaking to a bit of a, a echo chamber there. But what recommendation would you have for Republicans in terms of messaging on this if they want to make better hay in the upcoming election? Well, they're all see the, the Republicans that just got elected, um, and they got elected in a very, very uh, polarized environment. But also, a lot of um, very conservative voters got out the door in the midterm election to vote for them. They're worried about a primary challenge. 
they're worried about Trump coming to their district or their state and, you know, talking up somebody else. It's pretty early in the cycle, but that's what they're worried about. They can't be on the wrong side of Trump today in the Republican Party. That's their that's their problem. They have to. It's like your winning team gets a bad call. I mean, it's more serious than that. Um, and even though you think maybe there was a holding call on the football field, you're going to still say it was an unfair call. That's what they're going to do. But they're not going to comment on the details of the case. They're going to say this is political, political, political. But they're going to say I'm not familiar you know, enough with the details of the case. The problem for them comes when more indictments come down the pike. And how do they keep defending him um, and we're, and securing their own position in their own districts? It's going to be a, quite a tightrope, I think, for them to walk. And let's not forget, we have a debt ceiling because we have extraordinary national debt. And that's got to get raised or uh, we're told the economy will collapse. And that's got to happen by the summer. And so they have to figure out a way to do both at the same time. Uh, I think it's very, very tricky. We're going to have to see what McCarthy and his party are made of in the House of Representatives. It is a very fantastic time, and I do always have a great time whenever we get a chance to speak with you. Professor Wendy Schiller of Brown University, thanks so much for joining us here on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. That's going to do it for us today on Detroit Today. Tune in tomorrow when Stephen returns, and he'll be joined by journalist Alyssa Quart to discuss her new book, Bootstrapped, which is covering how the responsibility of survival has been shifted onto the backs of ordinary people. The idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, how that has caused us to not be concerned about others and ruin our own social safety net. We will return as you're listening to 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. And if you enjoyed this conversation, make sure to tell a friend. Make sure to tweet it out. You can check out the podcast replays. Go online to WDET.org as well. It really helps us out when you do that to share it with all of your friends and even some of your enemies as well. We'll see you again for Detroit Today on Monday.